Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big time wrestling party. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. Santa? Yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. As I walk through the aisle with videos on the shelf, I see the miss on the box and realize there's nothing else. Now, I've been watching wrestling for so long that every sense of good taste that I have is gone. We've been spending most of our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And this week we are going to talk about a movie that I cannot believe we have not gotten around to yet. It is 1987's The Running Man. Yes, with Jesse the Body Ventura and Professor Turu Tanaka. So yeah. So two wrestlers in this. We get a lot of wrestling in this movie. I mean, this movie is so... Clearly a film that takes a lot of nods from professional wrestling. Yeah, that's why I'm amazed that we, you know, we didn't get it, you know, within our first 75 episodes. Yeah. And I guess when it was time to do a Jesse movie, we chose Predator yeah, instead. Yeah. But... Yeah, when we said, hey, let's do a 1987 Jesse Ventura <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, this was the second choice. And that's yeah. why we waited till now. So how you been, Craig? I've been very good. You were in, uh, what, down in Miami recently. I was, and I have a, I have a, a Miami story for you. Uh, I was at the Animate Miami convention. I was there with my friend Dana Snyder, who is the uh, voice of Master Shake on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, um, among other uh, television shows. And we were doing a live uh, edition of our Drunk on Disney podcast. And so we were doing it live in front of the crowd there. And the night before I get there, he sends me a text message with a shot of a wrestling ring. And he says, you're going to love it here. You're going to love it in Miami. So I was all excited. You know, and so I I had known that they did uh, wrestling there. It was a group called Florida Super Championship Wrestling. And I had seen that, that what they do is they generally have uh, comic book characters wrestling. So they'll have a guy. Uh, and from what I can tell, this federation wrestles most of their cards where it's not a guy. It, it's like a guy who's, you know, got another gimmick. But then for the convention circuit, he'll be Super Mario. And then there's another guy who will be, you know, Cobra Commander. But, you know, when they're not on the convention circuit, they'll be doing, you know, a more standard wrestling gimmick, not a just total plagiarizing gimmick. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also this group, what they've done in the past is they've had they brought some big names in. And at the next uh, convention, which is going to be over the 4th of July, they're bringing in Jerry Lawler. So they actually do bring in some big names. And I know last year, Dana's autograph table was right next to Sergeant Slaughter's. So I was very excited about this, but I had noticed on the website that they didn't have any legitimate superstars, any of the, you know, the old timers coming back to, to do something with this federation. Uh, there was, wasn't going to be a guest ring announcing gig or anything. So I was kind of disappointed about that, but very excited because Dana told me, he's like, I just saw Super Mario be up Cobra Commander. <laughs> you know, you're absolutely going to love this. So I get down there. We're having breakfast the first day. Wrestling haven't, hasn't started yet. We haven't done our, our show or anything. And Dana says, guess who I was talking to yesterday? And I said, you know, who? And he's like, Jake the Snake. And I said, get out. He's like, yeah, Jake the Snake's here. I said, that's crazy. I didn't even see him on the website, you know. And so I'm flipping through the the brochure, the, you know, like the the guide. He's not listed in there. He's like, well, he's here. He goes, I talked to the guy. 
I said, wow. So a little bit later, we're walking down and they're doing live wrestling. He's like, there he is. And I look over to the side and there's a guy who looks like Jake the Snake and has a snake but is not Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, no, so it's like a big Slam Vader thing? <laughs> it is. This guy goes around under the name the Snake Master. He's got a mustache. I mean, he looks like Jake Roberts. This is, you know, a guy who probably, uh, even without the mustache and the mullet, still looks like Jake Roberts. Probably spent a lot of time in the 80s with people going, hey, you know who you look like? You look like that guy, Jake the Snake Roberts. And so he was doing this gimmick. And so I was like, that's not him, though. That's, you know, it's. And he was like, I can't believe he would do that. And I was like, why? There's a man over there pretending to be Wario. There's another guy <laughs> pretending to be the Bumblebee from The Simpsons. Why would why would this guy's credibility be so? I mean, it's the only one that made any sense. Yeah. Oh my God. That is funny. That's great. It was, uh, it was really exciting and it was, it was fun to see. I know you've seen a lot of this where they do that. They do this like cosplay wrestling. And the thing about it was some of the guys were really good. And some of the guys you could tell, you know, were, were not really that good. And so they, they needed kind of a costume to get over, but you know, it, there were, there were some moments where I was watching and I was like, this is some pretty decent wrestling. And if this is the only way they can pull a crowd like this, you know, Hey, what what the heck it gets these guys some experience gets them some time in front of in front of some you know fair weather fans which are the most difficult to please sometimes and so you know i thought that was that was very cool and it just totally reminded me of the connection between wrestling and entertainment and movies because my god that's all they were doing here was was aping famous movies and tv shows in the ring yeah, that is great so it's a pretty good movie to be talking about because this is a movie that involves a lot of TV. Oh, yeah. I uh, I read that one of the things Arnold didn't like about this movie and what he feels the film suffered from was that the director wanted to film this like a TV show, took a lot of elements of television shows and tried to put them into the way he he set up shots and the way he filmed portions of the film. Yeah, and he was a replacement director. It was either Starsky or Hutch. I don't know which. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, Paul Michael Glazer. And he replaced Andrew Davis, who is sort of a big action director who would go on to work with Arnold on Collateral Damage. Right. Now, this and, was during – oh, go on. Yeah, and I was going to say, and Paul Michael Glazer came on, and he had a TV background. He had directed some Miami Vice and some other TV stuff, so he probably didn't know how to direct a movie as well. Now, this was during the big Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone heyday. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've been doing some kind of Stallone project? Yeah, yeah. Over on the ACPN, um, we had started talking about Sylvester Stallone, and we somehow decided that it would be fun to sit down and take a look at his career. So uh, we have put together uh, Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone. Why didn't you do Slypod? You know what? We should have done Slypod. Darn it. <laughs> but it's the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast. And what we're doing is once a month, we're going to sit down and we're going to look at a particular portion of the Sylvester Stallone's career. On the first episode, we looked at the years 1970 to 1975 and really focused on uh, the Lords of Flatbush and Death Race 2000. Um, so you can head over to slycastpodcast.blogspot.com to uh, see uh, nice. see the website and check out the first episode. 
And uh, next month we'll be talking about Rocky 1 and 2 as well as uh, Sly's appearance on The Muppet Show. Oh, wow. And I look forward to you joining us for hopefully many installments of the Slycast. I hope. Well, now you and I have done Rocky 3. Yes. We've, we've and exhaustively done Rocky 3. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm looking forward to when we get around to that on the Slycast. And, I don't uh, know. You owe me. You're supposed to be on my, uh, you're supposed to be on the last 15 episodes that I've invited you on the Back to the Future <laughs> one. So you got to do that first. Uh, so let's talk about this movie here The Running Man, 1987, made 38 million bucks, which was a, a disappointment, it seems. Yeah, wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. With the the year that this came out and yeah. sort of the earning potential that Arnold had at that time. Well, here, listen to this. It made $38 million, which put it as number 30 for the year, which is slightly less than the movie Roxanne, the one where Steve Martin had a fake nose. Yeah. And just a little bit more than Spaceballs. Wow. And it came out towards the end of the year. It came out in November, so... Yes. Wow. And it also is the second highest grossing Stallone film of that year because that year Predator came out and made almost twice as much as this. But still, even Predator, I mean, you're talking a film that's making 50, 60 million. It's, you know, these films were not uh, the juggernauts that, you know, like Terminator 2 were. But I guess they were. I, I guess they maybe weren't made for a huge amount of money, you know, uh, because I always thought of this as being a success. So did I. Yeah, that's really surprising. And, you know, it's what's funny is, I mean, I know I saw both of those films in theaters. I mm-hmm. don't remember really the, the the timing of it, but I'd imagine that there was probably only a couple of weeks probably between you being able to walk in the theater and seeing Predator at <laughs> the Running Man opening. Yeah. So like the end of the run for uh, for Predator probably almost overlapped. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there were certain cities that, you know, really out on the fringe that hold on to movies forever, you know, had both movies, you know, in the same town. You could, you know, drive to one local theater and see Predator and then drive down the street and see The Running Man. Uh, Top film of that year, Three Men and a Baby. Oh, that I probably would have been able to guess. I mean, that was just a monster. (laughs) That's just crazy, though. Well, you know what? It was like a handicap match. It was Arnold versus, you know, the triple tag team of, you know, uh, what, Gutenberg, Ted Danson, and Tom Selleck. That's right. Yes. So uh, this is based on a book by Stephen King, but this is one of the books he published under his pseudonym, uh, Richard Bachman. I read up a little bit on this Richard Bachman pseudonym because I'd always heard about it and never knew why. Um, Do you know a lot about this? I think I, I believe you've said you've read some of his books in the past. Yeah, and I've actually read at least half of the books that he wrote as Richard Bachman. And from what I remember, and it's been a while since mm-hmm. I really you know, read any of his Bachman stuff, but I did read The Running Man. And if I remember in one of the introductions to probably the paperback version of the, the Bachman books, a lot of this stuff was written like in college before he really broke out as Stephen King. Oh, interesting. And, and I think he decided he would take a shot in seeing if, he could make it as a, you know, under a different name. All right. Here's what I read on Wikipedia. Um, at the beginning of Stephen King's career, uh, publishers felt that they couldn't have an author publish two books in the same calendar year because it would uh, damage their brand. So he came up with this idea that he could write under two different names and asked the publisher if he could. And he came up with some gimmicks uh, like, like uh, putting a picture of a different dude on the back of the book and uh, dedicating a book to the wife uh, of this 
pseudonym that he was, you know, this fake character he was writing as. Uh, but um, they said that it didn't last long enough because they found out the writing style was similar. And, you know, for whatever reason, enough people found out and it became known that this was also him. And so he never got to find out what his question was. He wanted to see if talent could overcome hype and everything else. So he said, here's, you know, Richard Bachman isn't doing the tonight show. Isn't, you know, isn't out there. So these books are, he was trying to put them as under the radar as he could to see if they could rise up. And he said he didn't, he was found out too early to, to find out if this was a, a good, uh, you know, find out what the answer to his question was, his theory. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting story. And I, if I recall also one of the things that, that they, they, that, help people discover it was him were somebody went to like the library of Congress and looked at the registered uh, copyrights. Yeah. And you know, they dug deep enough to find Stephen King's name. So interesting. Yeah. Well, this movie, uh, was, was written by him. Now, have you read this book? Yeah, I, I read, I probably read this in, probably a couple years after the movie, probably when I was watching this movie a lot on like VHS. All right, very good. Uh, yeah. Takes it's place much different. Do you what do you remember? Do you have uh, a lot um, of memories? Because I didn't read anything on the book other than yeah. Um, I, the main character is very much unlike Arnold in every way. Oh, sure. He's yeah. you know sort of you know an average Joe, and he basically volunteers to be on this game show. Oh wow! To uh, win money, so his daughter. His sick daughter can get some expensive surgery. Ah, very good. And, and the the TV show is laid out a lot differently. There there aren't really the the you know WWE style stalkers. Right. Um, they're very much just you know I guess your average bounty hunters. And there are different rules. You basically you have to survive for a certain amount of days, and once a day you have to send a videotape back to the the TV station of you doing something for an hour and you can basically travel the entire country. Um, oh, and wow. it's also, it's also got a pretty grim ending too. So, uh, ah, when we get there, tell us the yeah. end. Yeah. The but end. I always, I always sort of love, uh, being able to, to do this with a movie where you sit down and watch the movie and then you can go and read the book and have it be a completely different experience. There's a lot of books like that, that, you know, that I've run into, uh, Another one that comes to memory is John Carpenter's Vampires. You know, that was a movie we went and saw, and then I went out and got the book. And it's it's very, very different. But, you know, it's sort of got this, the same sort of skeleton. Um, but it's really cool. And, and I think the Running Man uh, film exists on its own sort of video shelf and is a lot of fun. And the book sits there as another sort of alternate version of it, which is which is cool to have. This takes place in the year 2017, the uh, start of this film. You know what other movies took place in 2017? Let me see. Um, I got I got the list right in front of me. These are was, great. Was, was Blade Runner one of them? No, and we'll okay. get to that. Okay. Uh, but no, Barbed Wire with, <laughs> with Pamela Anderson. Her, her Casablanca remake. <laughs> That's right. Cherry 2000. Do you know this movie? Yeah, but... <laughs> That didn't take place in 2000? I guess portions of it take place in 2017. 
Uh, Oblivion with Tom Cruise. Which I, I saw. It's been on HBO recently, actually. And then here's another one that only partially, but uh, does take place in the year 2017. Adam Sandler's Click. <laughs> oh, this, so that's probably Adam Sandler like in the... Uh, the fat the, Adam the fat Sandler. Falling yeah. down and crying in the rain. Yeah, where he lost his family <laughs> because he clicked through them. Oh, goodness. Uh, so these movies take place in 2017, just like the beginning of this film. So in the beginning, we find out that the American economy has collapsed uh, and it's now a totalitarian police state and they censor all cultural activity, which I'm thinking will happen in the next two years. So we're we're most <laughs> of the way there. So uh, the government's broadcasting game shows where criminals fight for their lives. And this is to play the public to make everyone that's that's stuck in this miserable country to be to be happy you know and, and give them something to root for uh you know at least on television yeah and the beginning scroll of this movie is really where i it's my only problem with this film because it sets up this sort of future world that doesn't really make any sense Ooh. Because later in the film, we're going to have people betting on this. And if the economy's in such shambles, ah. are people going to really be betting on the outcome of this show in the streets? Well, I, uh, there are some plot holes in this movie. That is definitely. <laughs> um, so uh, so The Running Man is hosted by, da- by Killian, uh, Damon yes. Killian. Uh, and uh, this is where these runners, which are the, the, the people that are, that are caught, which we believe are bad people. Criminals, uh, yes. criminals. They're they're trying to evade the stalkers who are these professional wrestlers, American gladiator characters. Uh, and if they if they win, they get pardoned and they're set free, or so we're told. Yeah. And you know what the funny thing about watching this movie again after probably since the the you know when I got this on DVD, I think oh, I sure. got this on DVD in two thousand three or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is how long it takes them to get to the actual running man game Mm, yeah it's like it's over 30 minutes into the movie well we jump ahead in time we jump ahead two years Mm -hmm. and now it's uh now it is 2019 according to wikipedia and that is when blade runner Ah. takes place as well as the island from 2005 ah the the michael bay film nobody wants to talk about yeah, we can talk about it. <laughs> well, I don't think Michael Bay wants to talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. It's like, you know, it's it's the, the only post-Bad Boys film he made that I, I, I think underperformed at the box ah, office. Right. But yeah, that, that's probably true. Um, so, this brings us to Tommy Rosales Jr.'s <laughs> head exploding. I... <laughs> love this i love this scene and i i googled it and found it's on a a website i can't remember the name but it was like a website of great movie deaths and it was like a wikipedia of great movie deaths and they're like head explodes decapitation (laughs) they had a list of you know body moving without head you know it was like great stuff so yeah his, his he's got like a collar i guess that you know if he goes too far uh it and he tries to make a break for it and yeah, it's like explodes. Yeah, I guess it's like the future version of that like ankle bracelet. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, Tommy Rosales Jr., this is a guy that I was fascinated with because I would see him pop up in movies and what I would always notice. And we've talked about this. Yeah. I think we've talked about it on this show, but I know we've talked about this a lot. Anytime we see him in movies, we start nudging each other because we know he's going to explode. Something bad's going to happen to yeah, him. He's going to get stabbed. He's, he's going to get sucked fire. out of a plane like in uh, uh, U.S. Marshals. It's like anytime you see him in a movie, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, he gets stepped on by a T-Rex. It's like whenever you see this guy, you know bad times are coming. Yeah. And there was also a point where we thought he was two different people. Yes. Now, this is this is a weird moment in the earlier days of the Internet. IMDb, because he's often credited as Tommy Rosales and often credited as Tommy Rosales Jr., IMDb had him listed as two different dudes. They also probably were like, how could somebody have over 100 movie credits? He's somehow worked on eight movies a year since the 1970s. Uh, so they had split him into two different people. And I don't know what his dad did for a living, but his dad was not the acclaimed stuntman, Tommy Rosales. He was not Tommy Rosales Jr. either. This was one guy, but IMDb had his filmography split. And it used to just boggle my mind because I was like, often he seems younger when he's billed as <laughs> yeah. Tommy Rosales. And I was just thought it was this amazing father-son duo. Uh, but no, it is it is they eventually merged them and it it made it was like the day that they did that, you know, the day that I logged on and saw that they had merged them, I went, Oh, you know, it was like all of a sudden the, you know, cause I was like, IMDb couldn't be lying to me. Clearly this is a man and his son. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Ben Richards, uh, he's, uh, he's a police pilot, uh, convicted of a massacre that he didn't want to take part in. He was like, no, they're innocent people. Yeah. Women I, and children. They just want the food. <laughs> that's right. So he uh, he is is imprisoned, but he's not guilty, right? Yeah, he, he he's framed. He he he's framed as the butcher's butcher of Bakersfield. But he also doesn't want to join the resistance. Yeah, he just seems like one of those guys. He's like, hey, I just want to, I just want to live my life. I don't want to get too involved in anything. Yeah. So uh, so we get this whole thing with Amber Amber Mendez, uh, who we'll see throughout the movie, but he tries living, to. Yeah, she's living in his brother's apartment. Right. Yes. <laughs> who had gotten evicted while I guess Arnold was in jail. Yeah. So during that two year period, I guess Arnold didn't know what was going on. So he's trying to go to Hawaii and he's going to use her as a as a hostage. Uh, but so he gets captured again and is now taken to ICS Studios. Now, tell me about Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson, host of the Family Feud, legendary game show host, also did time on uh, the match game. And a lot of people might remember him from Hogan's Heroes. Right. And this is genius casting uh it's one of those roles where you say wow you can't picture anybody else doing what richard dawson did here he sort of played an amped up exaggerated heel version of richard dawson yeah. which is just amazing yeah here's the thing uh, after Hogan's Heroes, he did very few acting roles, uh, except for voice work. He did a lot of voice work. But uh, this was his final film after that, and he lived quite a few decades after. You know, he died, I think, 2012. Yeah. So, you know, this was not a guy who was known for his acting after he became a game show personality and game show host. Uh, and 
what a great performance he gives in this movie. Yeah, it's 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 really the a lot. I mean, there's a lot of highlights in this movie, but basically every time uh, Killian's on screen, you you've got a highlight. He there's you know one scene that stands out at the ICS studios where he's walking up. He's going. He's walking through the lobby to go to the elevator, and he bumps into like this old man who's like mopping the floor. Right. And he's like, "Oh, it's cool. It's all right. You know, go back to mopping the floor." And then he gets in the elevator, and he tells the the big Arnold's, you know, big bodyguard friend who's in the movie. Yes. Um, if he's here tomorrow, you're going to be sw- uh, mopping the floor. <laughs> right. You know, it's just you know all the cheap little heel things that you can do to get you to not like the character because I'd imagine that was the most challenging thing when you've got a guy like. Richard Dawson, who's sort of like this beloved game show host who for years hosted the, you know, Family Feud and he would kiss the, you know, the all the women on the cheek. And, you know, I mean, he had a really, really, you know, super positive, you know, uh, there there was a lot of kissing on the lips too, Craig. (laughs) Yes, there was. (laughs) Let's let's talk about him, though. So he he did Hogan's Heroes. Uh, He, he, you know, was a comedic actor. And then I'm assuming that led to him being on Match Game. You know, that they, you know, they had different comedic actors that would be on Match Game. And if people haven't seen this, this was a show where you had six celebrities, right? You had a panel of, of three and then another row of three. I think maybe three up top and four on the bottom. So it might have been, yeah. So you had a, but you had a whole gaggle of yeah. celebrities. And these were, there were a certain level of celebrity that just always did these. Charles yeah. Nelson Riley, yeah. uh, Betty uh, White. He, Yes, yes, Betty White, um, her husband at the time. I'm trying to think of what his name, uh, I think like Arthur Lubin maybe. Okay, yeah. uh, But Betty White's husband would be on a lot of these. Um, uh, Brett uh, Summers. Brett Summers. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, was it Dick Sargent? I think Dick Sargent yeah, would yeah, do well, some of these. Yeah. So they, and that and, guy that looks like Mario. <laughs> yes. Remember that guy from the 70s? Oh, I do with the mustache. <laughs> Um, and so you'd have like this core group and then you'd rotate in the new star of the week, which would be some guy, you know, was on a sitcom or whatever. And usually those guys, you know, couldn't really hang some guy that was, you know, didn't do this regularly, but the rest of those guys on this panel were just brilliant. And so this would be the one where they'd be dumb. Dora was so dumb. How dumb was she? She went to let the dog out, but instead she let the blank in, you know, and then they'd, you know, boom, 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 and they'd go around and each, each celebrity would write their name and you'd try to match and they'd try to get as close to being dirty as possible, yeah. you know, uh, within, within the law at the time. And they would, uh, they, they, you know, this, a lot of times the celebrities were hard to match because <laughs> the answers were insane. Yeah, uh, I think if you looked at like the the match percentage for like Charles Nelson Riley, it had to be incredibly low. Right, but I think Richard Dawson was one of the ones that matched most often, right? Yeah, th- there was a, a certain run of that series where they would do like a one on one celebrity match at the end of the episode. They would spin this wheel and get a certain dollar amount, and then you would have to match a celebrity you picked. And I think Dawson was the most picked for that segment. Now I remember watching a clip with you where it was a it's a pretty famous clip from the show where he protested because the producers were not accepting an answer that was very close. It yeah. was like the answer let's say the answer was kitten and they all had cat and the producer wasn't accepting it and he just they were they stopped showing their cards, you know, cuz they knew they were going to get the buzzer. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it was just, that show was just so funny. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's actually a really cool, like, sort of best of the match game DVD out there. It's probably, like, three discs, and you can probably get it for, like, nothing on Amazon now. But uh, it, it's really – it's a lot of fun. And uh, actually, it, it broke a, a lot of stars. Uh, Kirstie Alley was a contestant on the match game. It seems oh, like yeah. they even casted yes. for contestants. Well, hey, look, if you're a, if you're an actor in Hollywood and you're looking for work, that's uh, that's a good day's work. You go there, you try to win a year's supply of rice aroni. <laughs> you know? Which you tweeted about recently. I did, I did. Because I was watching, I literally was watching Match Game, and I saw, you know, the year's supply of rice aroni, you know, and I was like, wow, that would be like, two boxes of rice for me because I eat it maybe twice a year. That, yeah, would, yeah. that would do it for me. I don't think I'd need, I don't think, it, you know, like there's a lot of things that if you gave me a year's supply of, of, uh, oh, if you gave me a year's supply of like, like diet soda, my God, you're, you're going to be back in the truck up every month. Right. Yeah. But if you're like, Hey, it's a, it's a year's supply of, you know, uh, of, of, uh, a Burger King breakfast sandwich is like, well, you know what? I go to Burger King for a breakfast sandwich every other month or so. So it's yeah. not that much. You're shelling out about 20 bucks, maybe. Yeah. Do you think around that time there were like game show winners that you knew come come the holidays or come your birthday <laughs> that you were going to get like, you know, a, a dozen boxes of rice aroni wrapped right. up from them as a gift? You're like, I know you got a year's supply of turtle wax, but I don't need turtle wax. I don't know how they figured that out. Was there was like a year's supply, you know, they just figured out what that amount, what, you know, you'd literally get, uh, you know, 50 boxes was considered a year's supply. Or was it that, you know, when you ran out, you'd just pick up the phone and be like, oh, running low, running low on my on my uh, macaroni and cheese. And they'd be like, well, you got a year's supply, so we're, we're coming yeah. over. I bet you they probably averaged it out or whatever. I mean. Because if not, you'd think that somebody would have really gamed the rice aroni company. <laughs> the uh, the family feud. So he would he would have your family there. So you, you'd be you and your family. And uh, he would do a monologue, which is something you pointed out to me, which is amazing. He'd do a Jay Leno monologue at the beginning of every episode. And then you and your family would, would uh, answer trivia questions. You know, you'd buzz in, you'd do your trivia. And he would kiss every woman in the family. He'd kiss grandma. He'd kiss your, you know, your older sister. He'd kiss everybody, you know, and often on the lips. Yeah. And I think that's what endeared him to a lot of people is he wasn't, he didn't discriminate. Like if they had, you know, 85 year old grandma up there, he was paying just as much, if not more attention to her than, you know, the, you know, some of the other women. That's right. Give me some sugar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so Killian uh, uh, has to compete. Uh, so we've got the running running man coming up now. We've got the big show. Arnold is going to uh, is going to be thrown into this, and if he doesn't, his two uh, uh, compadres, the two people that are paired up with him here, uh, this uh, Amber and and this other dude, Yop they're going to have to do it. And the nerd, yeah, right. And and that's going to be it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they go on the show, they will die. So, but the the gimmick here is once Arnold agrees, he finds out those two are stuck in it as well. Yeah, he got double crossed. All right, so uh, show begins, and we get the classic "I'll be back" from Arnold here. That yes, completely works. It didn't feel like you know in the in the Expendables two when he says it, 
where it comes off as corny. Here he says it, and you're like, wow, that makes perfect sense. And he and he and he, it pays off. Yes. So um, so we see the first stalker, Sub Zero. Yeah, Toro and- Tanaka. Professor Toro Tanako, he, he was also uh, Mr. Fuji's tag team partner, uh, world champ, you know, tag team champ, uh, a decorated wrestler. And at the time where he was a wrestler, he was also a successful actor. And then around this time, he had retired from wrestling and focused only on acting. But this was an interesting guy where he did both. You know, he would wrestle and he'd do movies, you know, back and forth without, you know, it seemed like it was, uh, you know, a very balance two careers for the time period that he could do both yeah yeah very very neat and he has the distinction of being one of the guys that main evented madison square garden with bruno san martino a handful of times wow yeah and he uh he gets taken out he uh (laughs) sub-zero goes from being sub-zero to plain zero here's here's my question so the audience is shocked because the stalker has never been killed right this mm-hmm. is the first guy to take out a stalker. I, I why, smell a pothole coming. Why are there eight stalkers? <laughs> why do we have multiple? I don't understand what was supposed to. Were they just supposed to escape him? Yeah, because they 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 acknowledge earlier in the film that there have been at least three winners of the Running Man. So, so I guess uh, they just don't kill the stalkers. They just get get away from. So yeah, I which, guess which is weird because. Here with Sub-Zero, he's got, like, this hockey, ice hockey gimmick. They're locked in this ice hockey rink with him, so... Yeah. I don't know how you'd get away yeah. without without killing him. Unless he just gets bored. Yeah. Like, you you just, you know, you, you sort of run around enough for him to get winded tired. and be like, I'm getting out of here. This ain't worth my time. We start seeing this uh, falsified video. They're, they're, they're faking video to, uh, to fool people, which is, is almost like a precursor to like computer animation and face replacement and all that. Oh, yeah. There's some really high-tech stuff that happens in this movie. Uh, Jesse the Body Ventura as Captain Freedom. Uh, <laughs> this is Jesse playing Jesse. He's a former stalker, and again, these stalkers are they're they're pitched as pro wrestlers. They're very much characters and gimmicks, and he's a retired one that's doing commentary dressing like Jesse Ventura. Yeah, but with a pretty good wig. Yeah, well, around this time, Jesse was putting on the wig a lot. And the funny thing about Jesse with the wig was he would wear the wig sometimes and then not wear it other times, which to me, it's a fashion accessory to the guy. It's not the way you think of wigs being. It wasn't like a vanity thing. Yeah, no, he just, he looked at it like a hat. Yeah. There's a there's a great Jesse moment in this movie that really cracks me up every time I watch it. And it's the first time we see Captain Freedom. He's hosting like an aerobic show. <laughs> yeah. And he's not doing any aerobics. There's like, you know, probably a dozen girls doing aerobics, you know, like 1980 style Jane Fonda aerobics. And then Jesse will come by and just pose. Right. <laughs> As Jesse should. Yeah. <laughs> That's a workout tape they should have marketed and put on the shelves. Because I would have bought it. <laughs> there's a there's a Bubba Smith workout tape that I have to get. Uh, I've seen clips from it now in the movie Rewind This, and uh, in in it he like talks. He's like, "We're gonna work out, and you're gonna enjoy it. And I thank you, and I love you. And I've never <laughs> never heard of a workout tape where the host tells you he loves you before you get ready to work out." Now let me let me just double check my memory here. This is Bubba Smith from like the Police Academy movie. Yes, yes. Okay. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Wow. Um, so, uh, Buzzsaw. This is a guy, uh, Buzzsaw, played by Gus Rethwish, uh, has a wonderful, uh, wonderful Arnold line here where he had to split. Yes. And he also, he says, uh, he, he during their encounter, he has this whole line where he says, I love the saw. The saw is part of me, and pretty soon it's going to be part of you. Right. And two years later, um, leading up to SummerSlam 89, Hogan and Beefcake cut a promo before their match where Beefcake pretty much lifted this guy's lines Ah. verbatim but replaced Saw with Blades. Yes. (laughs) You know what? You had mentioned this to me, and now that I'm thinking about it, I do remember this. That's funny. Yeah, it bothered me because I knew that that Beefcake had stolen that line from somewhere, and for some reason, I thought it was a Texas Chainsaw sure. movie. Obviously, and, yeah. And and it was. I was so glad that we we decided to do this movie because as soon as that scene came on, I said, "That's the scene that." beefcake yes, stole <laughs> yes well that's i mean that's a very common wrestling thing they love to they yeah. love they watch a movie and then they're like i mean down to the fact that there was a there's a pay-per-view i think it's like capital carnage 98 i think where they all had watched uh austin powers on the plane and they're all including dude love does like three or four yeah babies you know <laughs> During his, I mean, like they're all talking about it, like on commentary. It's like the big joke with everybody. Um, this actor, Gus Reswish, uh, appeared in Twins, Scorpion King, uh, and House Two, the second story, where he played a character named Arnold the Barbarian. Oh wow! Right. Yeah. Uh, so Weiss and Amber, uh, they find the uplink. They're looking for the uplink so that they can what take the show off the air. It, or, or are they trying to knock down some kind of futuristic uh, vision of the internet? Yeah, I think what they want to do is they want to override the network feed and, and, and sort of put up the resistance feed. So I guess Mick Fleetwood and Dweezil Zappa can, oh, right, um, right. You know, can alert the masses to the deception that is going on. You should talk about this, the fact that these people are cast in this. I, I found this to be some weird stunt casting. Yeah, Mick Fleetwood plays Mick, um, and he's in, like, old age makeup. Mm-hmm. So I guess you're supposed to believe that this is Mick Fleetwood in 2019. Ah, wow. You know, the former drummer of, of Fleetwood Mac. Sure. Who, who you know, as we as we learned in the opening scroll of this movie, that art, you know, the, the, the all cultural activity has been censored. So I guess Mick Fleetwood was out of a job, so he decided to get a, a together a resistance that includes Frank Zappa's son. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. We have to, you know, what we've got to do in four years. We've got to see if he looks like this character because I'm always curious yeah. when they old age people if they're if they actually grow into that or if it's you know totally different. You know, like Brando did not grow into looking like the Godfather character, the old age ver- makeup they put on him. Yeah, uh, but some people do, you know. And and I I I, I think uh, Max von Chydow, I've I've seen where they've aged him up in older movies, and then he kind of grew into looking very much the way that they thought he would and i wonder how much of that is you have this vision and you can either fight it or go with it you know that you that a makeup artist has decided this is how you're going to age yeah and so you could you can actively work against it or towards it depending on how you feel about it yeah (laughs) um so we get we get a lot of running man stuff here uh uh 
uh, Weiss is killed by Dynamo. <laughs> um, <laughs> the opera singer. That's right. Um, we get uh, we get uh, Dynamo's buggy flipping over, trapping him. But then Richards doesn't kill him, which shocks this audience. Yeah, because he's supposed to be this hardened killer who killed women and children as the butcher of Bakersfield, and he says, "I won't kill a defenseless man." And this right. is also where the like the crowd starts to to uh, to turn on on Dawson, and they start yeah. rooting for for uh, uh, Richards. Killian doesn't like this. They're now betting on him to win instead of the stalkers. They're, they're cheering for him. So Killian offers Richards a job uh, to be a stalker. He declines, which is very smart because you can't trust this guy. No. Uh, And so then we see fireball who's pursuing Amber and Richards in this abandoned factory. Yeah. Jim Brown. And this is where we find, uh, the bodies of all the previous winners. They they aren't on these vacations we see them on. No. They're not on the beach in Hawaii. They're dead. Yep. So uh so Killian uses some computer generated imagery uh to fake the deaths of Richard and Amber in this final match, which is uh a match against uh, Captain Freedom, against Jesse Ventura. And this when I was younger, when I saw this, I was buying so much into this movie that it didn't dawn on me that they didn't that this wasn't a computer trick that they just filmed this scene. Yeah. Uh, but the characters in the movie didn't film this scene. You know, only the actors in the movie yeah. did. Uh, which is, it, but today they could do this, and that's kind of what's neat is that in four years they'll certainly be able to do this and do this as well as it's done in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And and this is a funny scene because Jesse pretty much refuses to come out of retirement. Right. Um, it, it's almost like he refuses. He knows he's going to have to do the job and he refuses. And he's got like this real junky ring gear. You know, it's like he's wearing like a like a old Battlestar Galactica prop on his chest. <laughs> what do you think his uh, his superpowers were? His See, that's you know, the thing. They like, all had like, something. Like, yeah, like Captain Freedom, like his his. His costume didn't make any sense to it for his name. He didn't really have a, a gimmick anywhere near as strong as Fireball, uh, you know, as, as strong as Fireball or Buzzsaw or Sub-Zero. Um, maybe he was like, you know, uh, you know, he was before the, you know, the gimmicks really took over. You know, it was like, you know, 1960s WWF versus, you know, 1970s and 1980s WWF. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I really like this is like what excels about Jesse in this film because he works as a commentator and as a performer. And I I mean, I think that I would love to have been able to see this from the perspective of a moviegoer that doesn't know him. Yeah, because I think he's so good that you leave going and that guy was really good. You know, oh, and yeah. you say, oh, he was basically playing his entire, you know, the last 30 years of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Before he grew a ponytail and started, you know, uh, uncovering yes. conspiracies. Went insane. But the funny thing about him being insane, he's been on Monday Night Raw since then. So we know Vince is totally cool with his craziness. <laughs> you know, he made him and him and Vince had to put on the suits and sit at ringside and do commentary for the main event. Yes. So um, and he was promoting his like conspiracy theory TV show back then. 
I still remember because when Jesse uh, became uh, governor of Minnesota, I I was so excited. And I, I, you know, there was a big part of me that was like, this kind of legitimizes this, you know, wrestling in some degree that, you know, it's acceptable. It's kind of like how, you know, actors, people always thought of actors as being kind of a, a, you know, a sleazy bunch or whatever. And then one became president of the U.S. And and now you could always hold that up and say, hey, you know, uh, uh, the president of the United States was an actor, yeah. you know, and so here the the governor of Minnesota was a wrestler, and then a couple of years go by, and I turn on Sports Center, and there's Jesse with ponytails in his beard, and it's like he was literally like, "How stupid can I look today? I want to make sure that everyone that voted for me feels as dumb as possible when I show up on television today." Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, like Captain Lou would have looked at this this getup, this this uh, you know these this beard and hairdo, and be like, "I don't think it's a good idea, Jesse. I think it looks a little too crazy." <laughs> so, so Richards and Amber learn that they've been killed on television. Which, yeah, Amber initially thinks is a good thing, but Richards basically says, "We've you know, there's no way they're going to let us out of this game grid now because we're supposed to be dead." Right. So uh, so Richards leads a, a group of rebels into the control room. Uh, this we start getting into no holds barred territory with Kurt Fuller from no holds barred. I know. So Brell. yeah, this is great. Um, we we uh, we get they get to broadcast the footage of everything to see that these people that everybody believes got away. Yeah. Didn't get away uh, that, you know, that everybody was killed. And then Richards goes into the studio floor and every, oh, my God, he's still alive. We saw this man killed. So now we know, you know, as as viewers at home, they know that this is that the whole thing's a sham yeah. and that that Richard Dawson is is evil. Yeah. And one thing that in in uh, in reading synopsises blows my mind on this is that Arnold's name is Richards and Richard Dawson's name is not Richards. Yes. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm like, you know, my mind goes to mm-hmm, mm-hmm, kissing all the women. And I'm like, oh, no, it's Arnold only kissing his housekeeper. <laughs> So uh so we get this uh this confrontation between Richards and Killian uh and he's saying that you know he's he just did this to appease the people and he's trying he's trying really hard to weasel out of this uh and so then we get this wonderful ending tell me about this and then tell me about the ending in the book All right so basically to get launched into the the game grid you sort of went on this like Sort of like an alpine slide, if I had to describe it. Sure. And you're in a in, an enclosed sort of, uh, you know, steel structure. So Arnold straps Killian into that and launches him through it, I guess, at a speed faster than they're supposed to go. Because instead of stopping and hitting this net right. when it leaves the, t- the tunnel, it launches and uh, crashes into a billboard and explodes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's total craziness. It's the end of his character and then uh Arnold and and Amber kiss and credits roll. What happens in the book? In the book, Richards ends up on a plane for some reason and I can't remember why and he's in a really bad shape. He he's basically been I think shot in the gut and his his intestines are leaking out of him and he flies the plane 
into the broadcast tower of the network, um, killing himself and uh, realistically killing the network and, you know, sort of, I guess, giving the people back the airwaves. Ah, so he's a sacrifice at the end. Yes. I like this ending better. Yes, it, it works for the movie. I, I can't imagine a movie where Arnold's, you know, in a plane, you know, yelling uh, Killian's name as he as he flies it into, uh, you know, a broadcast tower. And this is such a uh, like a a one liner filled movie. This is one of those action films. And I, I don't see these as much today. But in the 80s, there were a lot of action films that really felt like they just made a comedy and put some action in it. You know, like there was so much, you know, the tone of this film is very light, even though the subject matter is often very dark. Yeah, yeah, and this was written by uh, a writer who I think was really, really popular around this time and, and made, if I'm not mistaken, the Street Fighter film, uh, Stephen D'Souza. Ah, very good, yes. Stephen D'Souza uh, is, is, I think they said something like $2 billion in films that you know he's, he's had his hands on. Uh, just if you look at his filmography, just you can, you can see everything in there. There's, the Die Hard movies are on there. Yeah. Uh, the Flintstones movie. I mean, it's like, you know, no matter what it was, he's, his handiwork was, was, was involved in everything for a very long period of time. Yeah, and he also wrote Arnold's Commando. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So before we get to the the wrestling at this era, let's uh, let's do this because I think this is pretty pretty simple. Uh, I don't tap out, Craig. Do you tap out to the Running Man? No, as 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 many problems as there are with this movie from a a story standpoint, this movie is just way too much fun to even consider tapping. Um, and I was so happy we finally got around to this, and I and I watched it. Uh, more times than I probably needed to to prepare for this episode. And uh, it, it's a movie that I am not going to wait that long to watch again. So, yeah, yeah, no tap. Yeah, this for a very long time. And I don't know if there's a film that has surpassed it, but this was my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger film uh, growing up. This was one that I watched a lot, you know, and I, I really, really enjoyed it um, and and still do. So this is a, a fantastic film, and I highly recommend it to people. People that have, if you haven't seen this, go out and check it out. If you haven't seen it in a while, and, you know, maybe if your memory is, oh, it was really dumb, though, wasn't it? Go back and watch it again. I think you'll like it. Uh, so right around this time, this November 1987, Survivor Series, the first Survivor Series, took place on pay-per-view. Yes, on Thanksgiving Day. And it wasn't the only wrestling pay-per-view that day, which I'm sure we'll talk about after we get done with Survivor Series. This is interesting. So, well, the key to this was uh, what Vince did was he was coming off WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 3 was so big, you know, uh, at the Pontiac Silverdome, I think it was the last day of March, and it was such a big event with Andre and Hogan that he wanted to capitalize on it by doing this uh, Thanksgiving pay-per-view. But there was already another pay-per-view. And this was in a time where you couldn't do two pay-per-views. There couldn't be, you know, you had you didn't have eight pay-per-view channels back then. Yeah. You know, today you have, you know, you could have an unlimited amount. But Vince was like, hey, if you guys want to carry this, you 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 get WrestleMania. If you don't carry this and you carry Starcade, the NWA, which you know was eventually a WCW event, uh, then you don't get WrestleMania. So 
everybody carried Starcade or nobody carried Starcade. Yeah. Everybody carried WrestleMania three, uh, and and everybody carried Survivor Series so they could get WrestleMania four. You know, because yeah. WrestleMania was such a big deal; it was the biggest pay per view of all time. Nobody, you know, nobody was that worried about uh, uh, you know losing the the NWA event. And this was a real big, uh, almost death knell for the pay per views for the NWA for quite some time. Yeah, it was uh, a smackdown, to say the least. Vince was playing hardball. This was very much the style of Vince McMahon. And considering... It fits with the Running Man theme. It does. It, it was just, He was stalking the other promotions. It does, but it also fits with the WWE Network thing, where Vince, he, he likes to kind of try to put the screws whichever way he can yeah. to the cable companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, this Survivor Series, I love this Survivor Series. I did not watch it when it first aired, but a friend of mine did, and I talked to him on the phone the entire night. I was at uh, my grandmother's house uh, for Thanksgiving, and he was watching this, and he was relaying match results to me over the phone. That is so great. And it was great. Like long periods of time would go by where we wouldn't be on the phone, but the phone would be connected. So we'd put the phone down and I'd have to sit close enough to it that when I heard, I'd, you know, pick it up and, and, you know, and then I'd get results of the next match. Um, and this was one I remember renting a lot and a, a, a card I really enjoyed. Uh, it's interesting looking back on it cause they really don't do this anymore, but this was a card that just had four matches on it. You know, this was mm-hmm. just these survivor series matches. Uh, what'd you think of this card? Um, it's a great card on paper, and I really uh, have good memories of it. And actually, before we sat down to do this, I watched the main event. Oh, okay. Which I... You can actually watch on WWE.com. I guess they're prepping for the network, and sure. they're putting a lot of individual matches just up on the website for free. So um, I watched Andre, the one-man gang, King Kong Bundy, Butch Reed, and Rick Rude with Bobby yes. Heenan and Slick and fight. I... The Hulk Hogan team with Paul Orndorff, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, and Bam Bam Bigelow with Oliver Humperdinck. A show-stealing performance by Bam Bam, too, who you know yeah. ends up getting stuck there and, and having yeah. to to fight you know valiantly against. It. He, he does you know the whole Stone Cold you know passing out to you know yeah. covered in blood to Bret Hart kind of yeah. gimmick where he's you know he puts up against all odds and eventually doesn't make it, but you know comes so close that you you just feel this guy's the best. You know this guy's got guts. I went the other way. I watched the opening bout. Okay, uh, the the Savage one. Yeah, which was yeah. a 24-minute match. Randy Savage, Jake the Snake, Ricky Steamboat, and the real Jake the Snake, by the way. Mm-hmm. Brutus the Barber, Beefcake, and Jim Duggan uh, against the Honky Tonk Man, Hercules, Danny Davis, Ron Bass, Harley Race, uh, and Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart were in the uh, on the outside of the ring. My favorite part of the match was there was uh, a moment where Harley Race dumped um, – steamboat over the ropes and steamboat did the skin the cat thing so harley picked him up dumped him over the other side and he did it again and so harley's like i'm gonna do this again goes to dump him over the third time but steamboat reverses it and dumps harley race over who can't skin the cat because he's old and out of shape i kept thinking if i'm and this is what i've always thought during that skin the cat move 
if I'm the other guy, I'm just waiting there. I'm going to kick you in the head as soon as you get back over. Yeah. Maybe about halfway over, I'll kick you in the head. Harley yeah. literally stood there and was like, you know, just with his fist up, waiting for him to get up so he could, you know, wait till he was on steady ground so he could throw him to the other side. Uh, they so had so many guys involved in this. There was a 20-man tag team match. Yeah. The amount of human beings standing on the apron of this match. <laughs> yeah was just insane. Uh, yeah. You've got Strike Force, Tito Santana, and Rick Martel. The Young Stallions, Paul Roma, and Jim Powers. The Fabulous Rougeaus, Jacques and Raymond. You've got the Killer Bees, Jumping Jim Bronzel, and Iron Sheik's favorite wrestler, B. Brian Blair. The British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith, and Dynamite Kid. That's just half of the match. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> then you've got Bret Hart, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, the Islanders, Haku and Tama, Demolition Axe and Smash, uh, the Bolsheviks, which was uh, Volkov and Boris Zukov. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the new dream team of Greg Valentine and Dino Bravo. And then you've got four managers. managers outside <laughs> the ring. Yeah, I mean, this is just it was crazy how many people were in this card and that match lasted almost 40 minutes. Yeah. But you know what? You know, what's funny about these Survivor Series matches in general is, you know, that's a match that went almost 40, 40 minutes with 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 10 tag teams, whereas some tag team match, you know, last half that long. You know, some of these Survivor Series matches, you know, uh, this, the, the the Randy Savage one was a 24-minute match, you know, where basically five guys had to get eliminated in 24 minutes where, you know, if Randy fought, oh, you, know, sure. mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody, you know, Steamboat, you know, they could probably go 24 minutes on their own. Yeah, this was probably a cakewalk for a lot of the guys, yeah. you know, like Smash probably was in the ring for all of four minutes, you know, total, yeah. you know, yeah. and he got a full night's pay. Yeah, this was I mean, this was, I think, a really fun concept. And I wish they would go back to this. I don't want one of these matches. I want yeah. nothing but these matches. I thought this was, you know, it's a it was a very different, you know, idea. And I think back then, that's all they did. They still do a lot of these gimmick pay-per-views. But yeah. I thought this was great. Uh, 21,000 people in attendance for this. Meanwhile, Starcade had 8,000 people. I got to say that th that crowd, I don't know what it was like for the Savage match, mm -hmm. but during the Hogan-Andre the Giant match, oh. that crowd was hot. Well, think about it. Especially after Bam Bam was, you know, sort of three-on-one versus all the Giants. Yeah, well, think about this. Hogan-Andre, biggest match of all time at this point, and the two of them hadn't been in the ring together yeah. from – from March until November, you know, for this event. I mean, that's that's a huge amount of time for a feud to continue, you know, and then, I mean, that was a big, big deal. Uh, very exciting, you know, very, yeah. you know, uh, and the fact that they stretched that feud out, they were still wrestling each other a year later uh, yeah. after WrestleMania 3. They were, a year later at WrestleMania 4, they were still grappling outside the ring. Yeah, yeah. So, meanwhile... The other card. Now, this one I'm pretty familiar with. This is uh, Starcade 87 Chai Town Heat. And the reason I, I knew this card is one of the few uh, NWA VHS tapes I have because at some point in time it was reduced for sale at my local <laughs> video store. And so I'm, I was a big fan of any time I could get my hands on a wrestling tape for you know, a reasonable amount of money. This is something kids today don't understand. But it used to be if you wanted to... You, you didn't own wrestling tapes because they were expensive. You didn't own. So if you could find them cheap, you know, that was you would buy them because they, you know, there wasn't YouTube and you couldn't, you know, it wasn't easy to get this stuff in your house. Yeah. 
So on this card, you got uh, a tag team match featuring Sting and, and Michael Hayes and Jimmy Gar Jimmy Garvin against Eddie Gilbert, Rick Steiner, Larry Zbysko, still wrestling. Uh, Steve Williams Dr. wrestling Death. against Barry Windham for the UWF Heavyweight Championship match. This is the NWA, you know, uh, featured multiple different uh, promotions, specifically the UWF was one of the big Crockett promotions out there. And so they, yeah. you know, they would, would have multiple titles and they even had a unification match on here where the NWA champ uh, wrestled against the UWA champ with a unification match with Nikita Koloff against Terry Taylor with Eddie Gilbert at ringside because boy, he didn't have enough to do earlier in the night in his tag team match. <laughs> and that UWF heavyweight championship was retired the very next month. Oh, that was it. That was the, mm -hmm. the end of the road. Uh, main event, we had, uh, well, actually, there was really two main dual, events. Dual main event, yeah. yeah, yeah the steel cage match for the NWA U.S. heavyweight championship, Dusty Rhodes uh, against Lex Luger. Dusty came out on top. And then the uh, the next steel cage match for the Amazing. NWA heavyweight championship, Ric Flair uh, defeating rugged Ronnie Garvin. Uh, very exciting championship changing hands in a steel cage with Ric Flair going out on top. Uh, pretty exciting night for wrestling, although most people only could see one, you know. Yeah, I, or if I, you were like me, you didn't get pay-per-view and you had to listen to somebody on the phone tell you, yeah. Andre Giant was just eliminated with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody watched both of these because it doesn't seem like it was possible. You know, it's not like one of those things where you could set up two TVs. Oh. Um, Couldn't watch them both the same night. Yeah, yeah. So you had to be one of the eight thousand people in attendance in in oh, Chicago for. But if for you were in the, what about if you were in the in attendance in Chicago and you were recording the other one at ah, home, and you, you got could, home and you, yeah, you, you could you could see them both in the same day theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll bring us to the close on this one. The Running Man, 1987, a good film. Neither of us tap out to. Craig, thanks so much for joining me on this. Thank you. This was an episode that I was so looking forward to and uh, had as much fun as I thought we would. Very good. And we will see you next time right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. Yes. I love the sauce. The sauce part of me. Yeah, I'm going to make it part of you. You know me, Gene. These are titanium steel blades. They will cut through absolutely anything. You know, I love the blades, Gene. The blades are part of me. Now, madness, listen up, because I'm going to make them part of you. I can't believe that, Hulk Hogan. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. You have skills plus my skills. Tag team. What are you doing up there? What's that Wrestlers in the movies. Guy and Craig podcasting. Movies with some wrestling. Will they be left tapping? Look at the scene in question that I am watching. They just took John Cena's wife. Now he's off to the streets. Now he's riding on top of a trolley. Fighting bad guys in the chopper and a course winning. Now he's in a swimming pool and makes out with his wife Got the remote in my hand and now I'm sleepy-eyed I'm a tapped-out gangster TV set banger And my homie sits down so don't arouse my anger Double, double E It's so blind to see That with these movies They make no money Down goes Jimmy
Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!